Frank, I got real excited this week because this gentleman, Ricky, emailed me on my favorite topic ever. <laughs> Uh-oh. I'm, I'm a little worried. Uh, Ricky, please be kind. <laughs> well, if you know what my favorite topic is, or if you don't, you know it's all about MVVM. It's my favorite thing in the s- whole world. Oh, settings, man. I thought it was going to be settings. Okay. Plus, well, we, already did, we already did an episode on settings, so you know I wasn't going to kick it off with the settings conversation. <laughs> you think I can remember that far back? <laughs> but, yeah, all right. So- MVVM. This is, this, is, uh, this is, yeah, we can do this. This is a doable topic. I think what are so, we talking about? Yeah, because the, the, the email that Ricky sent me was that, you know, he had just started Xamarin development, was real excited about it. And he was now starting to study things like reactive UI. And then he was mm. also investigating and asking me about other MVVM frameworks like Prism or MVVM Cross. And I liked how he phrased it because he got it. He said MVVM frameworks, right? Yeah. And that's something different than MVVM. And I'm a huge fan of just MVVM in general. So I wanted to like tackle this of, we've, I get this question so much of MVVM versus data binding versus frameworks versus what's <laughs> built into the box and all this crazy stuff. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you hate M- MVVM. So um, <laughs> I think it'd be a perfect topic. I would not go so far. I, I love all architectures equally. It's just which ones do I end up using is always the question. Um, so MVVM, we're, we're talking architecture. This is exciting. So you know where I like to start, though, right? Is uh, you load up VB, you put a button on the screen, and you double click on it in the on-click handler, you go query something on the web, and you show some data. That's how I like yeah. to write my apps. <laughs> All of your apps, production apps, all production apps done that way. Yeah. Well, they all start in VB in my mind. You know, they just expand out into other languages later. Well, what, uh, what I do actually is I do file new WinForms application. And you know, it's the fastest way to go from file new to button on screen. It may be faster than VB. I'm, I'm not sure. It's about the same. It's about the same. <laughs> okay. Joking aside, though. Um, so wh- why why do we do architectures? Because uh, we, we all do start with, you know, I, I like to think in my head, we all start with the querying a web service within the on-click handler. But we don't do that after a while because, A, it's not testable. B, you start scattering your logic all throughout the UI and mixing the two, and it gets super ugly. You start duplicating logic in all sorts of places. Where do you store the URL? All that stuff. So immediately, I think once someone starts writing an app, they start to wonder, is there a better way to write an app? And uh, as as the proponent for MVVM, you should uh, endorse it now. What do you got? it's It's kind of interesting, too, because, you know, I think when I learned development early on, I think I did a lot of the button click handler stuff. And and we did, when I worked at Canon, we had a lead architecture who was all interface based first. So things were already all over the place, but I think we followed mostly like MVC type architecture. And I think any iOS or Android developers or even ASP.NET developers are really used to the MVC approach, the model view controller approach. And MVVM is model view view model. So we'll go through all those things. Um, and we have a funny story of why I named my folders a specific way that Frank caught on to after, I think, like six months. Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure. I think he had to explain the joke to me. But <laughs> well, so so what's interesting is uh, that's how I look at it, too, is I think we had a great conversation last week about we're using the live player, we're using some previewer type technology. 
and I want to just actually jam on some code, or I just actually want to get my app up, up and running extremely fast, like you were talking about. So what do I normally do? Well, exactly. I start and I put down a button and I just jam a bunch of code in there, right? If I'm doing a demo, it's literally the easiest thing to demo, but it's not testable. It's not, um, it's not structured in a good way of finding things. And like you said, um, it doesn't necessarily always play correct with the user interface and, and, and testability wise. But also, I think for the longevity of an application, it's nice to sh- have a some sort of architecture around your application in some way, especially when, when it comes to code reuse, the testability, and just keeping sane of like, I opened up Meetup Manager that I hadn't worked on in six months ago. And you know what I did is like, oh, I need to update this this offline functionality. So I went to the offline view model and I just like, here's all my logic. It like made a lot of sense to me. Then I could see the interactions there. So yeah, yeah when well, I found MVVM was like early on in the Xamily type days. Um, and and I, I don't think I had even really learned MVC because I remember I'm not an ASP.NET developer. So I didn't really, really know MVC at all. So I think when I found MVVM, it was like the Microsoft stamp of approval since they created this is the architecture go so that's how i that's how i found it in general um i and actually i want to address something else too uh in the early days when uh xamarin first came out i think a lot of us were writing cross-platform apps um Mm -hmm. we we wanted to support android and ios and so as much as you want to put all the logic in the button click handler if you were writing native uis that meant you literally had to duplicate that logic across the two user interfaces so all of us from back in the day pretty quickly adopted some separation of the code of the logic, the model of the application from the view, the view being the user interface. The big question just became, how do you separate the two and who who facilitates the communications between the two? So that's where you get into the option of does a view model facilitate the communications or does a controller? And honestly, the, the differences are... It's so subtle to the point where I almost don't even care. <laughs> like <laughs> I, I'll use the correct words because I don't want to confuse anyone. But for me, the big win here is just breaking your model away from the view. And then mm-hmm. once you do that, you need a way to communicate between the two. Yeah, exactly. And I think how I even structure it in a way when I when I think of the concept is remembering that I structure all of my applications in MVVM because I like the architecture pattern. And it's really important when people say like, well, I want to use MVVM, so I want to get all this, you know, messaging, and I want to get this data binding. I want to do all this stuff. I'm like, that's not actually MVVM. That is the framework that plays nicely with the architectural pattern that allows magical things to happen. It's like a magical, wonderful, most revolutionary (laughs) Apple product ever when you're developing with MVVM plus the framework that includes all that stuff, right? So the the structuring of the app is what is important. I think you nailed it, right? Just, I always said the model is my data model. So this is a person. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then maybe I have um, a page that is my person page, which would be my person view in a way. And then I have a person view model. Like literally there's three things that go in a, a service right. or in a, in, in the pattern. And the idea here is that the view I've always, I like the analogy that the, the view should be, should, should be dumb in a way like it shouldn't know anything. 
I always call it a dumb terminal, and that's how I think mm-hmm. of it in my head. I, I think of like it's it's like the web browser in the old days before we had javascript where the server would do all the rendering and then just dump its stuff to the view that's kind of what we're doing here where we're setting a bunch of data in this data structure called the view model and then relying on a little bit of magic usually data binding um to to uh to basically just set a bunch of properties on a dumb terminal and so i think I want to go back to something else you said of it, it's a pattern. It's um, it's nice to have um, a chosen design for an application. It's nice to have rules like that. I could write one part of my app in this style, the other part of the app in that style, and keep bouncing around between styles. But that gets very frustrating over time, especially when it comes to maintaining an app. And so MVVM, it, there could be architectures better, there can be architectures worse, but the Another key aspect, I think, is just settling on an architecture and being consistent within your own code. It just makes every, your life better. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think the the biggest difference here when we talk about the structure is, as I think mostly a lot of developers will be used to creating classes and the models themselves, like the domain model, the business logic or something like that. And I've always just put my models as the actual data objects. They're not very smart. They're literally just the structure of mm-hmm. what's probably going to be represented coming from a web service, going to be displayed in my application um, yeah. in general. The view is a view. Like the view is, is an Android XML view. It's a storyboard file. It's a Xamarin Forms view. It's, it's yeah. the user interface, right? That's it. And now I always get into the gray term because the view model is is what's exposing the public properties and is in control of communicating between the view and the model and other services. So I've actually always said that there's like four, there's actually five different layers. There's this model, there's this view, there's this view model, and then there's services. So even for me, I say like my view models are also kind of dumb. They're like, they're kind of like a terminal where they don't know how to, where to grab the data from that. They just know that there's a contract that I'm going to go get my people from a server. I'm going to save a person or whatever, but, um, because that's the testability of it. And then you have the binder, which is like what brings it together, which is the framework. That's the addition. So I actually have this MVVM S pattern, (laughs) MVVMs in a way. So that's how I I do it. I laugh a little bit because it's just a terminology thing. Like I do the exact same thing in my code. I'm a big fan of services. Um, I I don't fully subscribe to the dumb model approach. I think you're missing out on a lot of object-oriented capabilities. Like um, we have a very powerful object-oriented language and F-sharp, we have a very powerful uh, functional language. You know, logic goes into the model. So I think you've been a little lucky where you don't have too much logic, but the kind of apps I write is just logic heavy, you know, Know, we're, we're constantly processing on that data. Um, but so you break it out and saying, okay, so I have this dumb model and then I have these services which operate upon that model. Great. Okay. So for me, that just means that's that whole thing is your model, your models and your services. It's the logic plus the data. You know, I don't, I'm not so strict about the model just being data. You know, to me, it's everything basically that's not the UI. That's the model. <laughs> okay. That makes um, sense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, seeing that model is in the in the terminology view model in a way, too. Right. So I I just like the simpler view of I have 
the view, which is the user interface, and basically everything else, and then these weird objects that work between the two, the mm-hmm. view models or the controllers, whatever you want to use. But yeah. we are talking about view models, so we'll stick to that. Let's jump into data binding, because I think that's the big elephant in the room. That's that's where we all get the most power from this thing. Do you want to... I don't... Sh- yeah. I, I love data binding, okay? Don't get me wrong. Like, when I started... MVVM development with like Windows Phone and well, actually Silverlight and WPF. Like, I fell in love with data binding because the idea is that the user interface like magically updates whenever you update things in the background uh, in your source code and your view models. And then if you type something or do something and interact something with the user interface, it knows how to communicate with this backend. It's very loosely coupled. Mm-hmm. And while I fell in love with it, I didn't really use any of it when I started doing Xamarin development, <laughs> Xamarin native development, and I ver- right. do very little of it when I'm not doing Xamarin Forms development. I don't know how you fall into it, but to me, data binding is properties and events and abstracting those two things because someone can click on a button and then it needs to call some code. Someone could update a value and then it should update in the user interface. Mm-hmm. But um, that's like magical, the magic of MVVM. Yeah, I I think it's the most fascinating feature of it because um, in the view model world, as you said, you basically just have properties and events. And mm-hmm. these properties are just projections of the model. They're, they're little snapshots of the model. They're bits and pieces of the model merged together, joined together, whatever, however you want to think of that. Um, <laughs> but, 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 I'm losing my train of thought. Please say something now, James. <laughs> Well, what's interesting here is even when we think about the data binding concept of how does an Android or an iOS developer look at this, right? Because I went to Google I.O. and I remember the, going to multiple data binding sessions because they have a Gradle step and can introduce this in a different way. It's very similar. So if you're an Android developer, it's very similar in a way. But ours is even it's the original. Right? So this concept has been around in a, for a long time. And iOS, I don't think, has this concept at all. Um, uh, which is in, right. Am I wrong? Because what's interesting is I went to Google IO this year, Frank, and mm-hmm. I went to a session about like architecture and what's next in, in Java and in Kotlin for Android developers. Like what's new, what are the, what, how should we be building apps? And yeah. they said, we have this new revolutionary thing. It's called the view model. Oh no. And I, was like, <laughs> I was like, what, what are you talking about? And they, they started to introduce this topic because what happened was, is, um, for Android developers, they introduced data binding first before they introduced the view model, right? So they needed to take a step back and say, we need to introduce you to the view model so then you can do the data binding and kind of loop these things together. Um, So I think everyone else has not lived with it because when I think of data binding, I think of XAML. Like I, those two things are, synan- are syn- synonymous, synonymous, synonymous with it, right? When I think of data binding, I think of XAML. When I think of Android and iOS, I don't get that type of stuff, which is fine yeah. because someone then asked me and they go, well, should I start using all these frameworks and doing all this stuff? I'm like, you know what you could do is just literally click a button and then call a method, right? Like, yeah, I mean, that's fine. Like, wow. that's what most of my shim yeah. wrappers are. And then subscribe to pr- these things called property change notifications. So let's say you have a first name field. You can raise a event that you can subscribe to. And then just update the user interface or whatnot when you need to. And that's what I've did for a long time in general. So it's, it's important to distinguish those two things that 
you can be doing MVVM without the data binding and the data binding comes in with these frameworks. And to me, it's synonymous with, with XAML. Did I go completely off the rails here of what you were trying no, to No, no, I just have two things queued up now. Now I want to oh, defend Apple and I want to actually address what you said of um, what you were describing as the controller approach where um, you're just watching for events on the model. And then when you see something, then you update the UI. Then you watch for events on the UI. When you see something, you update the model. And that's what the controller is doing. Mm -hmm. But we've been programming for, I've been programming for many years, and I am just tired of writing that code. It's boilerplate code. And it's like every time I want to present a form on the screen, I'm like, oh, God, all those event handlers I have to subscribe to. This is going to be terrible, right? And I, I, I think that's... Oh, God, yeah. Well, we'd even do that in the past. <laughs> Nowadays, we're all thorough. Yeah, so I, I think a big part of MVVM is this binding system. It's, it's saving us a lot of code. So in the view model, you do your projection from the model, you get all your data, you set that into properties, and then somehow, like you said, XAML or whatever, uh, you, you set up your data binding. Now, mm -hmm. you did. Uh, now, my turn to defend Apple, though. <laughs> so, okay, hit me. Yeah, so you mentioned uh, they don't really support it, and that's true. Their APIs are definitely designed around MVC, so they expect you to write controllers, subscribe to events on both sides, marshal the data around. That said, though, Objective-C does have a very nice built-in observable pattern, the mm. thing that all binding systems rely upon, and that's where objects can notify other objects when their properties change. That's oh, how yeah. we make the magic happen. That's how we make our apps reactive and all that stuff. That's how we get rid of the boilerplate, frankly. So they've they've had that pat they've had that uh it's called key value observable something like that oh I know I just messed that up but <laughs> everyone knows what I'm talking about it is it is actually baked in we just often don't use it from the .NET side because we have our own property changed uh, mm. way of doing things it, would so that be more similar to a reactive extensions or something then uh well these things are all related right because mvvm programming with bindings is a reactive style of programming and reactive i think most people think of event streams of like you know data constantly flowing in um bytes from the web mouse movement that kind of stuff but i bid you to think about an event stream that contains one event data showed up and like that's what reactive programming is it's here's a view model i bind it to a view and what does the view see it says oh all this data showed up it's reactive if i change that data the stream shoots out more data you know like i change at the source and it propagates that is 100 percent reactive the big question is how deep into that rabbit hole do you want to go because reactive is this very large subject where you can start joining streams together making streams conditional all that stuff whereas data binding the way we use is usually very simple we have a b propagate a from to b done yeah that's how i like it and um, i mean data binding evolved because you could say okay well there's this binding of a first name text box to this first name property. But do I want like a value converter thing? Because what if my thing is a string, but I need it to be an integer? Yeah. And then what if I want some other things and I want to do some validation? And like the, the XAML binding markup became this really large, complex thing that you can get. Like, it's cool that you can do it, but I like to keep it simple. Yeah. I don't know. That's just me. Yeah, I, I wish we had a few more easy tricks. Like uh, we have those component model attributes that we can decorate all our classes with. And you almost wish like it could dig into those a little better and just generate a lot of better defaults for us and things like that. 
Um, I don't know. It, it, it seems worth it to me. Uh, I often don't do it because I am in iOS. <laughs> so like, um, I even got to this point where I was getting so, I, I was so tired of writing the boilerplate code that I wrote a general purpose data binding library. It mm-hmm. wasn't MVVM specific or anything like that. It was just trying to solve data binding. And it did a pretty good job of it, but I don't use it today because I'm, I don't know, a sadist or something I don't quite understand. <laughs> well, I think what, what happens is for me, a lot of people ask me, well, what framework should I use? Then I go, that's a great question mm-hmm. yeah. because depends. Do you want support? Like, where do you want the support to come from? Because if you, if you, well, if you're using Xamarin forms, it's already built in. There's literally no reason if you're using, if you're doing UWP, WPF, Silverlight, Xamarin forms yeah. development, anything where yeah. it's literally the binder is built in, just use that. Don't use any other frameworks. Uh-huh. You don't need to. 100% agree. And I'm, I'm going to, you know, double down on that of like, just learn how those systems work. Like they're very powerful, actually. And just mm-hmm. learn the insides out. Like you were talking about those value converters. That's a really important topic. Um, often I'm really lazy and I'll do my own value converter by creating additional properties that just happen to be like different data types and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but learn those systems, you know, learn how to use the built-in stuff to your advantage. You'd be amazed how powerful they are. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's built in, it's good for it, but there's going to be some some things that are a downfall, which is that iOS and Android don't have that stuff built in. <laughs> they they <laughs> may have this stuff. So you may have built your own thing, right? I have built many uh, <laughs> of shim <laughs> little MVVM wrappers, but then right. there's all these other great things out there, right? There is lightweight things up to heavier things so there's the one that i actually used for a long time was mvvm light by laurent there was um prism which is like on top of xamarin form so it's actually like additional stuff and then there's mvvm cross and there's probably a few other ones but those are the most popular that i can think of is there anything else that i'm missing as far as frameworks in the xamarin windows world goes well, MVVM Cross was the first big one that I ran into, and that thing is huge. <laughs> I think they're they're also really trying to solve the cross-platform problem. At the same time, they're trying to give you an architecture. So that mm. thing is gigantic. Um, but if you want a lot of well-written code working for you that you don't want to write from scratch, I'd, I'd say that. You know, I don't have much experience with MVVM Lite because... I think I did what I know you did for the longest time. Like to really get MVVM working in your app, you're just trying to avoid writing at this tiny bit of boilerplate code. And you can usually do that just by writing one little class and deriving all your classes from that one. And it was pretty easy. So I never even felt the need to pull in a library. But me personally, I would probably stick with the smallest one I could find. Yeah. And that's the problem is some of these, I mean, the idea of MVVM Lite with Laurent was it was like Windows centric first, then he added iOS and Android. Mm -hmm. And the idea was it was light. So it does have a dependency service, but you don't have to use it. You can even swap it with your own. It has a navigation service, but you can replace it with your own or not Mm -hmm. use it at all. (laughs) And that's the thing is these frameworks. I love the frameworks. Actually, when I left Seton, I was doing MVVM cross development and I love the team, Martin and uh, Thomas, who are working on it and the amazing community behind it. And what's interesting is that when I left Seton, we had another developer and I said, all you got to do is learn MVVM cross and then Mm -hmm. you're good to go, right? Because literally it's doing your list. It's like inheriting. It has all this custom stuff with it. But again, it's a framework. So there's overhead. If you are just, if you have a click handler 
and you call into a method, guess what? That's really efficient. If you have a click handler that has to go through five layers of code, <laughs> then it's not quite as efficient, right? Yeah, yeah. Wait, maybe we should, should we address that at all? Efficiencies of MVVM? My, my general thing is um, if your UI is slowing down because of, I don't, I don't even know how to say this right. Like your UI should not slow down because of your framework for any reason whatsoever. And if it is, I tend to think you're writing your app a little wrong, but <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. I think that we were, I mean, I think in the way that Microsoft always poised this stuff was, was like, I'm big in interface first, but it's like MVVM Cross has a lot of like registering all your interfaces and registering classes and doing all this in yeah. startup, which is fine. I think mm. when you're doing a big, heavy WPF application, but it's not fine when you're writing a mobile application that needs to start in sub two seconds, right? So, right, yeah, yeah. Uh, now maybe I, you're doing enterprise development, that. and it's not a situation you don't care, and it's totally fine. Now I've seen some amazing MVVM cross applications that totally do lots of optimizations that are out there, right? So, like Mix Radio did this, and a few other really big, like crazy, amazing applications did it. But I think it's like now I have to learn like iOS, Xamarin. MVVM cross, MVVM, data binding. I learned all of it, right? So it's more <laughs> learning almost. Yep, yep. Uh, I stick with the built-in tech. Simple as that. <laughs> well, let me tell you one thing that I did, Frank, because um, I wanted to bridge the gap here. And I think you'll appreciate this because I love MVVM, but I hate writing boilerplate code. What I found myself doing was writing the same things over and over and over again, which was like an observable object, a yep. base view model, right? Is the yep. first thing I do. Yep, we all wrote those. We've mm -hmm. been writing them for 10 years. I'm sure we all have our own name for it too. Yes, <laughs> I've implemented I notify property changed a thousand times. Ooh, I've done it a thousand and twelve times. You gotta <laughs> catch up. <laughs> yes, so what I did like a year ago was I created this package on NuGet, which is now a .NET standard package using C-sharp 7 okay. features. Um, it's called MVVM Helpers. I think I presented it at our user group in a lightning talk, and I've done Xamarin Show <laughs> videos on it and stuff like that. But it is extremely crazy lightweight. In fact, it's so yeah. lightweight that it's not a framework. It is just helpers. It's in the name. Uh -huh. You refuse to call it a framework. I get it. So what are we it talking? Is, one class? Is it one class only? So it includes like five classes. Ah, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm so just kidding. I'm just kidding. The observable object is something that just implements I notify property change. So you never have to write I've notify property <laughs> change ever again. Ever. <laughs> ever. Base view model, like I, again, I wrote this for me. So I took my base view model, which is an observable object. So already implements I notify property changed. And those are virtuals, so you can override them if you want. Um it has a, some properties such as title, subtitle, icon, is busy, is not busy, can load more. These are things that I <laughs> use all the time. Um, I also got sick of grouping. So there's like an I grouping, but I wanted to have like an observable, like key value pair. So this is a grouping of string with a list of whatever, um, of, a, of an observable collection. So like when you, like say in iOS, when you're scrolling and there's like A, B, C, D, E, F, and you have your people inside of them. Those are inside of groupings, so I just included that in there. And I, what I did is I saw that all the MVVM frameworks really needed observable collections because we observable collection is like a list. 
right? We have it. It's built into the BCL. We have observable collection. Yes. Here's but the problem with observable James collection. James was not happy with observable collection because it didn't deal with ranges correctly. Was that the issue? That is correct, good sir. It is yes. not good enough. <laughs> I think we've all written this extension too because I know I did. <laughs> Where um, most of the time, like if you're doing like a web query or something, the web never gives you one item. You you always ask for 200 at a time or something like that. And the problem I think James kept running into is, well, he would then iterate over that list of 200 people, say add, 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 add. And because he's doing direct data binding and nothing's throttled, he should really use the Rx framework. Mm-hmm. Uh, his UI was probably burning through CPU trying to update itself constantly. Is that the issue? Nailed it. That is exactly <laughs> correct. So what I did is I made an observable range collection, which is 100% compatible with your observable collection today because it is an observable collection, but there is extension methods like add, add range, add these other things. I probably could have just made it in, ex- actually, if I think about it, I probably could have just made them extensions. Can I one-up you here? Uh, I think I have something better. Um, so a few F-sharp. years ago. <laughs> no, I won't go there. Yeah, it's called F-sharp. Anyway, um, for MoCast, I wrote this one, actually. And it, it, it's like your collection, but... Oh, how is it different? Um, you know what? <laughs> Let me go on this one again, too. And then I'll, I'll gloat in a minute once I decide how it's better. <laughs> it's not better. That's a thing. Because uh-huh, mine uh-huh. is completely compatible with every single framework out there, whatever you want to do. Okay, yep. so is mine. Okay, I'll, I'll give it a shot, okay, <laughs> even though my thoughts aren't well formed here. I do a diff. Okay, so I start with a list. And my thought here is that I'm, I'm partially connected to the internet. So I have a cached version of what I want to see on a page. So I have an old list, basically. So you go see a list of podcasts and there shows that list. But the fact is you actually want to query a web service. You want to get the up-to-date list. And mm. so you pull down all these new items. Now, what a lot of people do when you say see this in UIs a lot is they then clear their internal list and add the new list to it. That's their quick way of like replacing all the items. I see this a lot. And in a UI that's actually pretty fast, you can actually see that happen. So instead, I have this thing called a list diff. Uh, It creates like a diff like we're all used to in Git, and it figures out this item's the same, this item's the same, this one needs to be deleted, this one needs to be inserted, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So just like we would diff two files, it diffs two lists. And from that, it applies the diff to the source list, and that way your UI updates only in the most minimal way that it absolutely has to. Hmm. That's how I do it. Yeah, that is pretty good. That is pretty supports good. the caching scenario nicely. <laughs> so now that we've argued over who has the best helper library, and of course, <laughs> one, of these is, one of these is open source and on NuGet available today <laughs> in the show notes. That's fair. You got me. Um, you can always add that. That would be a great addition to the MVVM helpers. I'm just saying. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing that I was kind of curious about when we talk about data binding and we talked about lists and we've talked about just data structures is. I often get questions of, let's say I have a list of data, but what happens when one of the items properties inside of it change? How do you handle that, right? So I have a list of podcasts and now the podcast title has updated or the, the, how long I've listened to it has updated because you could just relist the, reload the whole page, but that's probably not what you want to do. 
Yeah. Um, so I think the problem you're talking about is like um, deep events. So like mm-hmm. a change happened deep down in the hierarchy and you want to kind of bubble that up to the top. In general, I really try to avoid those ones. Um, <laughs> I try to capture the events at the UI level, like uh, the, the binding should have its own view model and I, I'll compose view models out of com- view models so that I don't have to bubble up events like that. But it does happen, especially I think in my model, that happens a lot more than in my view model, to be honest, where I want some logic to kick on whenever this deep, le- low-level change actually happened. So it's Got very it. useful. I just question whether it's useful for a view. Yeah. <laughs> so what is our end-all, be-all in an MVVM frameworks and MVVM in general? Any any last thoughts you want to put in here on the actual structure before we go into some listener feedback? Or what, what do you think? Do we think that we crushed it? Uh, I, I think we made the good point that I wanted to make was it's just a concept. It's just a pattern and you don't have to use a very large framework for it. And it's a yes. good pattern to adopt and it's a, just a good practice to get into. You know me, I don't like overhead. I don't like mm-hmm. um, uh, unnecessary over-engineering and things like that. But I feel like MVVM and any basic architecture, again, MVC or whatever, is just a step up from anything else like you just can't mix the stuff (laughs) yeah and i would say you know in general if you are going to pick a framework like be active in that community see what they're doing like analyze the code it might be a little bit tricky if you're coming in for the first time um and and see if there's just parts that maybe you just want to pull into your own project i don't know and just you know that way you can control the code um that would probably be my recommendation and then yeah if you're using xamarin forms use the base stuff it's good it's good to go (laughs) no don't use anything else stop it (laughs) It's good. <laughs> well, a lot um, of people are layers on layers on layers. We like to add layers. It just all happens. about those layers. <laughs> all right. So um, let's go ahead into our listener feedback. But first, I want to take a quick break, uh, Frank, uh, to thank our amazing sponsor this week. Um, this time around, yet again, our amazing, amazing sponsor, Syncfusion. If you know Syncfusion, they offer the largest tools for Xamarin, .NET, and the web on the market. They have these amazing charts, graphs, controls, PDF viewers, Excel viewers, like editors, all this stuff, like reporting, dashboards, data integration platforms, big data, they have everything. And they're super optimized for each platform. They're designed and built to the most highest possible performance and they're designed per platform. So iOS, Android, web, you're gonna get the look and feel because they are native controls. They offer over 850 components and uh, I use them personally. I just shipped an update to Meetup Manager off to the Apple App Store. I updated the NuGet package, which is completely cross-platform, and boom, I had brand new charts and graphs right into my application. I love it. What's awesome is that they have a community license too. So you can take advantage of all this completely for free if you're an independent developer and making less than a million dollars a year. So it's kind of awesome. That's what I use. I don't make a million dollars a year. I wish I did. And when I do, I'll pay them a flat fee (laughs) to actually (laughs) keep using their controls. If I'm in that situation, I could be so lucky. Um, So if you want to learn more about Syncfusion and all the awesome controls and components that they offer, go to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict. That's syncfusion.com slash merge conflict. Awesome. <laughs> I think you said something very wise there. If you're making a million dollars a year, I think you can afford the license. <laughs> Just a little. Yeah, I could, I could afford the license. So we had some awesome listener feedback, Frank, from our last shows, um, specifically around the uh, C sharp seven. The You got some F sharp in my C sharp talking about mm-hmm. F sharp. Um, John wrote in in the comments. So you can leave comments on the show and we check those too. It's a great show. He said, 
it's just more of a comment and i wanted to get frank's um feedback he goes oh great he goes c sharp still won't be as pretty as f sharp i.e less noisy <laughs> but it definitely will make c sharp easier to work with especially when you have a functional mindset so i wanted to see what you thought about that comment since you do have a functional mindset frank <laughs> um c sharp still has a ways to go to be a good functional language they need a better value type system but we're getting there we are getting there in terms of prettiness there's a tiny bit of stockholm syndrome with f sharp i think overall the general ideas in f sharp make it a nice looking language but the truth is if you go and read other people's f sharp code i think it looks horrendous it's like reading hier hieroglyphics um that's a personal opinion <laughs> i don't speak for anyone um i like f sharp syntax uh, but whatever uh yeah c sharp it's getting there not quite there but um it's doing well doing C well sharp eight. it's coming we don't even need that. I, I, I should be clear. Like the the last few features that I want, they're just slowly coming in. Yeah. But it's you can totally I think even John Skeet wrote a book like functional programming and part of it was written in C sharp mm -hmm. and that was written three, four years ago. So it, it you're fine. <laughs> I like that. Have you taken a look at Swift 4 yet or anything like that? I know I watched the yeah. keynote and did they change anything or did they just kinda say it's coming along? Yeah. It's mostly like Swift 3. Um, I think they got better control of their exclamation points and question marks. I don't know if you've ever looked at Swift code, but they have a crazy three-level nullability system, and you got to really learn the thing. Uh, I think they've gotten better control of that. In general, the code... I don't, I'm, I'm so terrible, dude. Like, listen to me. Like, I, I think it's ugly also. I don't think anything <laughs> looks that good, <laughs> but you know, I want everything much. to look like Pascal. Um... <laughs> I don't know. I, yeah, the Lisp is beautiful. Everyone, program in Lisp. <laughs> I, I just say go back to the basics. Just let's, let's all just write um, um, assembly. Assembly code. That's what I was thinking. Thank you. Yeah, just write some assembly if you wanna. If you wanna go back to the basics of beauty. <laughs> so another message came in from Ryan. Uh, and this is a question that came from kind of like when we do holiday travel, but also when you're traveling. And this is pretty pertinent because I go on holiday on occasion, but also um, I travel a lot and you travel a lot, Frank, too, um, especially on the weekends. He goes, James and Frank love the show. Uh, he goes, uh, I'm, I'm on vacation. He must be currently on vacation, which I appreciate you listening to Merge Conflict <laughs> on your holiday. He goes, I'm on va my vacation with my wife in Jamaica, and I find myself itching to get in front of a keyboard and code on some uh -huh. side project. I know. <laughs> um, he, says, he says, I've been excited about starting and finishing uh, between spending time with my wife in the pool and the beach. It's like, when you guys vacation, if you do, um, winky face, do you detach from technology and coding, or do you embrace the desire and passion and integrate it with your vacation? All of the above. Um, I definitely, <laughs> I I don't know. I have this great, maybe I'm a sociopath. I, I can disconnect from technology pretty easily, to be honest. Um, I have no problem turning off my phone, anything like that. I can totally go without Twitter. Um, but that said, uh, mentally, I get an itch. Like, mm -hmm. I want to use my brain. And often, like, you're running around, you're exercising, you got all this oxygen going to your brain. So you're having all these great ideas. You're being inspired by things you see, 
Uh, you see people using apps and you're like, gosh, you need an app to do this and that. And so you can't help but to feel the draw of wanting to create something while you're away, especially because you're all relaxed and all that. So I, I tend to give into that. Not if I'm traveling with someone else, you know, I'll carve away some time or something like that. But I tend to give into it because if that makes you happy on the vacation, then that's a vacation. And my only thing there is like, don't get caught up in it. You know, let it go after a few hours or something like that. Yeah. So what I do is if I'm by myself, so often like if I'm at a conference and then I'll spend a few extra days there, if I'm by myself or with a group of co colleagues or something like that, it's I have like a few days of holiday afterwards. And in mm -hmm. that instance, I already have my equipment with me. So usually is I'll go out and explore the town. And then at night, I'll come back and jam on code because it's like, oh, I'm already going to go to sleep. I have two options, yeah. three options, go to bed, watch Netflix right. or code on something. And usually I'll code on something uh, unless I'm like caught up on like I'm not caught up on like mm -hmm. a walking dead or something like that. <laughs> but when I go on holiday holiday. So, for instance, we went to um, Cuba and Costa Rica, for instance, um, I we we have a pretty firm policy of not bringing a laptop oh, at yeah. all or any right. tablet even tablet, maybe only to do Netflix viewing, but we <laughs> try to completely decouple ourselves from technology. And we said, if you don't bring your laptop, then guess what? You are literally detached and you can't do it. Um, <laughs> and that's what we do. And I keep my phone. I had a good conversation with JB who works on our visual studio, um, tools for unity. And JB was telling me how he turned off all notifications on his phone and everything, like not only just silent, but like turned off all yeah. notifications, always in silent mode and it like helped sure. his life. Yeah. And my phone is always in silent. I don't even have it on vibrate or anything. It's always on silent. <laughs> Nothing is that important. No, no. Well, I just don't like noises. Yeah. Um, well, I, I disagree a little bit with the you're disconnected from technology. As long as I have my phone, I can spend hours staring at that tiny little That's screen. So I don't, yeah, I think you got to ditch the phone if you really want to separate. But I don't like I don't like hard and fast rules like that. It's mostly just enjoy the trip, right? Um, it isn't. Yeah, it's enjoy the trip. But I think I get too much of the itch. So the problem is that I will uh -huh. likely go and code <laughs> on my phone. <laughs> so if I if I don't have it, then I can't do it. That's uh, okay. Okay. So either develop the willpower or create draconian rules. Yeah. One and that's what I've done. <laughs> that is what I've done. Yeah. And and to me, you're right. With the cell phone, it always does get in the way. And and at home, I've tried this new thing um, too. Is after after before dinner. So essentially, like I get off of work, and maybe it's like six or seven o'clock at night. We're gonna start making dinner. Is I take my phone and I plug it in. It's like my computer or wherever it's at. And I just don't go and look at it ever again. Like <laughs> yeah. if unless we're going out or something. But if I'm in the house, it's not allowed to enter. It's, I don't always stick by it. But usually 90 percent of the time, it's not allowed to enter the other areas of like on the couch or watching TV or playing games or whatever. And I just try not to go to it because I'm too likely to let my brain check Twitter and check email. Yeah. And I can turn it off, like you said, but. Sometimes I don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, getting back to the original thing of like, how do you escape a way to work on ideas? I think the thing is to just give in a little bit, but watch yourself. Don't don't mm -hmm. do too much of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, Frank, I think that's it for this week. Uh, we had lots of tweets and lots of things coming in. We're closing in on some big numbers of the podcast. Mm -hmm. I'm super excited. Um, that's crazy. We got great feedback from the WWDC uh, special edition. I hope that we do more special editions, give you guys even more 
murder more of me and frank that's what that's what people want <laughs> the epic edition i can't believe how long that episode was <laughs> yes i can't believe how this long this episode has gone so let's wrap it up <laughs> This has been Merge Conflict. You can go ahead and find us everywhere on the internet. Just go to mergeconflict.fm. If you are currently listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, you could do one thing that would revolutionize the world and we would love you absolutely forever, which is go in there and leave a review. If you give, if you love us, give us a five-star review. It super helps us climb the boards. And of course, we would love it if you shared it with all of your friends, family, and colleagues. Um, you can always go to mergeconflict.fm, leave your email, tweet at us, whatever you want. And until next time, I'm James Montemagno. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.